Performance Management, APQC. I'm joined by two of my colleagues today, Jeff Barney, Process and Performance Management Lead and Director of Advisory Services, and Jonathan Kraft, Project Manager and Senior Advisor in our Advisory Services, as part of our ongoing series that takes a deep dive into the seven tenets of process management. Today, we're gonna discuss one of the more challenging tenets, process performance. So we wanna kind of start off with this idea of what is process performance? It's really our ability to monitor the health of our processes through things like measures, control points, compliance, and overall just making sure that things are running smoothly and the ability to identify problems that may need to be fixed. So the first component that usually comes to mind when we're talking about process performance is measures. And really what these are is defined observations of the performance of a process. Now, they can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes from things like cycle time to FTE hours to costs, as well as process efficiency. And really, the idea here is that we need to understand the performance through these objective measures and be able to track them objectively. So it means that one of the things we have to do is identify what are the best fit measures for what we want to accomplish in this space. And it also means things such as understanding what is a range of variability when it comes to a measure as well. And on top of the measures, we also have things like control points, right, Jeff? Absolutely. You know, when it comes to control points, the, the whole point of measuring is to exercise some control and be able to influence or, or, or manage the actual performance of the process, what me- the measures are showing us. And typically what the easiest and where people start to focus is on the more reactive type of measures or the controls we can take after the process has been performed. Let's look at how, how long it took, what the quality was, how much it cost. And if it doesn't fit our expectations, now we can then target improvement opportunities uh, to drive higher performance in the future and see those measures kind of get in line with what our expectations are. But when it comes to control points, um, we really want to start a little bit earlier to say, what are the different types of controls we can do, not just after the fact, reactive, but during the actual performance of the process itself, or even before the process begins, before it starts. So if we think about the in-process type of controls, how can I control the performance during the execution? Well, I can adjust the resources. I can have certain contingencies that say, if I see certain circumstances, I need to adapt or, or, or perform the work a little bit differently. So a control point within the process itself, not reactive, but during the process, it helps us to adjust and, and tune and refine as we're going. But what that means is that we can't just look at reactive measures. We have to know what measures are necessary to trigger that in-process control. And then before the process, there may be dependencies upstream of the process uh, that really look at um, how another process is performing or what the inputs to the process are going to be. It could be based on plans and forecasts, for instance. And that then it says, do I have the right resources? Do I have the right materials on hand to perform my processes as effectively as possible? And if not, let's make those adjustments before I get started. So Control points before the process look at other measures of other processes or inputs. Control points within the process look at triggers that will allow me to make those real-time adjustments. And then the more traditional, as Holly talked about on the measures, those then outcome measures, output and outcome measures at the end that I can then use to say, what can I change and improve for next time? So control points really help us before, during, and after understand what measures to be looking at who should be looking at them and the actions we can take to achieve the performance we want. 
And I think that's a great point, Jeff, because once you have your measures and once you have your control points again, before, during, and after, there's this whole concept out there of benchmarking. Well, how do we know if we're doing well? How do we know if we're performing uh, year over year? Are we improving or month over month, depending on what your, your time frame is? But then there's also the discussion design of, well, how do we compare against others that maybe are in our industry? Or how do we compare against others that have similar size and similar complexity for us? So there's typically, when you go through the benchmarking process, there's a couple ways you can look at it. Again, you can look internally to see what you're doing year over year, quarter over quarter, to get that trend analysis to say, are we measuring the right things? Are these meaningful for our organization? And we'll talk about how these tie to these, some of the other tenants in a minute. And then there's also that concept of what kind of external benchmarks can we be doing? Who can we compare with? Can we do some one-on-one -on -one comparisons? Can we engage an organization to do some type of benchmarking with us? But it really gives us some insight to what kind of goals should we possibly be setting based upon what's, at the, what's happening within our industry, what's happening within organizations that, again, have similar size, similar, similar complexity within that. And I think that really, really, really leads to a little bit of, of why this is all important. So Holly talked a little bit about some of the, the process performance, but it really ties very closely to the idea around process improvement and strategic alignment. And I would love for you guys to jump in, in in a moment here. But when you think about it from a process improvement perspective, again, if you've done your measures, if you've done your control points, you've done some type of benchmarking, now you have some idea of, well, where are some of those process improvement areas that we might need, or excuse me, what are some of the areas that we could use from a process improvement perspective? And you may have a center of excellence, you may have a community of practice, you may have a continuous improvement office that can help you with that, which is really important. But also we can't just go out there and just be improving just to improve. And we've talked about this before in some of our other classes you've probably seen about making sure we have aligned improvement activities. And that really ties very closely to our tenant around strategic alignment and focusing on what is important for the organization. So Holly or Jeff, more, more thoughts on there in terms of why it's important and what else it ties to within the seven tenants? I say, I think your point there is, is very accurate, especially when we look at where people struggle with process improvement, right? A lot of it has to do with they don't have the objective ability to make decisions around what's going on in their processes and have that context of the strategic alignment then to help prioritize, well, what should we be improving on versus, you know, what shouldn't we be? Just because we can improve something doesn't mean we should improve it. It may not be the best investment for us. And I know, Jeff, you've talked multiple times about also the connection then with the process modeling tenant as well about baking this into your modeling aspect. Do you want to go a little bit more into that? Absolutely. And I was going to bring that up. I think that the process modeling tenant is, is really so important because think about it from this perspective. To drive process improvement, we have to perform a level of process analysis, understand what the process is supposed to be, how it's performing with the measures that come with it, and then say, again, with strategic alignment benchmarking, as Jonathan mentioned, where do we need to do better? Um, but the process modeling itself then is, is part of that process. Before I can improve, I need to understand what I've got and what I expect. And back to the whole concept of, of this kind of uh, modeling, I, I need to understand where in my process can something go wrong, for instance, what might not work or where, where is there high complexity where I need to have higher levels of control um, for the process? So as I, as I design and model my process or I evaluate a current state process, I start looking for those points within the process and say, do I have the associated measures of performance and how well am I doing? Am I lagging the rest of my industry? Then why? Is that an okay operating point for my organization? 
or strategic alignment wise, do we need to get to median or top quartile? And if that's a goal of the organization, now that I have the knowledge of where in the process, aligning it back to measures and what types of risks or controls I can take in order to drive that performance, I can now figure out how to actually design and improve. So that's really how these pieces all fit together. Um, you can't just do one, you have to see this, this kind of connectivity. Um, and, and so modeling, performance measurement, uh, improvement and strategic alignment. Without them, uh, you know, you really don't have the whole story to guide uh, the, not just improvement, but the right, most impactful improvement. And so, and I think some of that is evident and where a lot of organizations struggle. So uh, earlier this year, we did a project looking at the EPM programs and we kind of structured it around the seven tenets. And when we talked about process performance, we saw kind of a mixed bag of where organizations are trying to do the right things. Um, but there's also a lot of places that they continue to struggle. Um, and when we look at measurement in particular, most organizations state that they do now have process measures. They're trying to measure the performance of how the processes are executed. However, those measures tend to be ad hoc. So there's not a lot of clear thought gone into which measures are the best fit measures for my process. Um, we tend to err towards whatever is found in the industry or whatever is easy for us to measure or something we historically have already measured. Um, so that's one area where we see kind of a, a mixed bag. Um, control points is another big one. So I think about two thirds of the survey respondents said that they use control points, they identify control points, but they tend to be at the end of the process. Like we talked about earlier, Jeff, they're looking at those lagging measures to manage what, how things are going in their process, which can be too late, which also shows that when they're looking at the monitoring aspect, they're reactive. So anything that they're doing tends to be ad hoc reactive ways of, of then managing that performance and looking for those improvement opportunities, which means they then also don't take into account risk and mitigation when they're looking at control points and building out those kind of what if plans that they need to do to be able to address it quickly. What else are you guys seeing as far as like some of the struggles here? Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. And then Jonathan, please add. But um, the, the, one of the common things we always hear is, and Holly mentioned this, what are the right measures, right? Um, well, there are sometimes hundreds, if not several hundred different types of measures you could actually collect on a process. Um, so obviously, if you say, here's our most important control points, both reactive, but then in process and predictive, you know, um, uh, ahead of the process, that helps you to then say, of all of the things I can measure, these are the ones I need to enable someone with. And that can help you to refine the, the right measures down a little bit further. Um, so that's one way to, to kind of go out there and say, I can collect all of this data and measures, hundreds. But here's the critical few and who needs to see each one and then also enable them through good change management to say, and here's what you should do with that measure. Is it something that you can do to improve the forecast, to change real time execution or to feed into a potential uh, evaluation against benchmarking and identifying those improvement opportunities? So being able to filter down to the critical few and use these concepts in a more structured way is, is difficult, but it's so enabling when people do it well. And Jeff, I think you hit an interesting point there. When we talk to a lot of organizations and we ask questions about data and what they analyze or what they measure, we either hear one of two things. We either hear, well, we don't have any data on that, or we hear we're swimming in data and we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to go. That's kind of the analysis paralysis uh, discussion. So I think that's a lot of the times where folks go wrong. So Jeff, to your point in terms of where we see them starting to get better is that 
um, almost sifter that they have to go through and said, what's really important to us? What's important to the business? And I think when they start to do some of that analysis, it really gives them the opportunity to say, well, what are what are the items within my control? And for those of you who have children, you probably all had a conversation where they're stressed about every, stressed out about everything. But you say, well, what's really in control? What can you ultimately control? And you can control things like your reaction as a teenager. Well, the same can be said for some of the, the measures that we look at is if we're part of end-to-end process, we might need to have some insight to what happens downstream or what happens upstream, but we may not be able to control what happens three or four you know, places downstream or three or four places upstream, but we might be able to just be aware of it. But we do need to make sure that we're looking at within our control, what are the immediate inputs to Jeff's point earlier? What are the immediate leading indicators what can I control in my process? And then what can I control from a lagging perspective within making sure that that's where my, my, my span of control uh, is and really gets into the conversation about the being a little bit more proactive and versus being, being reactive. And I think that's really important to think about when you establish those control points, when you establish those measures, making sure that you, again, to Jeff's point earlier, you're not looking at the hundreds or the several hundreds. You're looking at the ones that, again, are important to you. They have an impact on your direct span of control. And they're also ones that are um, reviewed often. Holly talked about this in terms of where the folks go wrong, but we hear a lot of stories from clients that say, we've been measuring this for five years and we score on a red, yellow, green. Well, if you've been green for five years, that might not be the measure anymore. So make sure you're reviewing your measures and you're looking at ultimately what's important to the organization, how you can make sure you're having a positive impact to the organization. And again, tying that back to the conversation we've had earlier, the other seven tenants, specifically items around the process models, the performance improvement, uh, and the strategic alignment. So that's, again, probably a little bit longer on what we see on on what organizations can do better. But Holly, I didn't know if you had anything else there that, that you're seeing or hearing from your conversations. And I think a lot of it is is one of the things organizations have a hard time doing is having those those frank conversations with their their stakeholders as far as this. And that needs to be part of both your model building as well as a regular review, like you said, Jonathan, of your measures. Without those, you're probably measuring the wrong things. You're not actually driving value for the people who are in those decision points, um, as well as getting buy-in. Because sometimes, you know, process performance can also be a struggle because there's a lack of that objective uh, kind of data-driven decision-making as well. So making sure to have these inclusive conversations and making these stakeholders part of all of these aspects can also help really drive that buy-in and that adoption and making sure you're on point with some of those. You know, I'll add one more quick point here, and it kind of connects the dots on a few of these uh, conversations so far. Um, and Jonathan brought it up, this concept of leading versus lagging or looking upstream and downstream. And it's you know, been been part of the conversation all along here. But um, one of the challenges or the great opportunities that I see people can do better with is to, to say, what are my critical dependencies for this process, with this process? And don't fall into the trap, which is what is common, is I kind of know one step upstream and I know one step downstream because those are the ones I directly are influenced by. But you really have to look further upstream and downstream sometimes to know where the critical dependencies or drivers are. So always take the opportunity to say, what what can critically impact my process upstream and how far up doesn't matter. Go look as far as you need to to understand what that is. And then downstream, what will my process influence downstream to the total total outcome or value creation that we're after and, and collaborate with those people then. 
that's a huge missed opportunity. Don't just assume it's one step upstream and one step downstream. Um, quite often, it's numerous steps interrelated, but but not in the direct flow sometimes where the great dependencies are that you can dr- use to measure and drive performance uh, and, and collaborate on that improvement um, for everybody's benefit, end-to-end kind of total life cycle benefit. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jonathan. And it's been a great discussion as always with the two of you. Thank you all for watching this video. As we've mentioned before, this is part of an ongoing series on the seven tenets. Um, Throughout this past year, we're going to be digging deeper into each of the tenant, doing some research, some videos such as this, um, as well as some roundtables and things like that. So please stay tuned or, or check out some of the other topics that we've got in this area. And I hope you all have a lovely day.